Hello and welcome to the Nursing Standard podcast. I'm Flavia Munn, editor of Nursing Standard, and the topic of this episode of the podcast is endometriosis and painful periods. Many women experience painful periods, but for those with endometriosis, the symptoms of their monthly menstruation can leave them debilitated. Yet often this severe pain is not taken seriously. It takes an average of seven and a half years to get a diagnosis, according to the charity Endometriosis UK, and around 10% of women of reproductive age are thought to be affected by endometriosis, and nurses will often be their point of care. While some nurses, of course, themselves are patients with this condition. So what can nurses do to help those with endometriosis? Joining me to discuss this are Claudia Tai, a clinical nurse specialist in endometriosis and gynaecology, and Debbie Holloway, nurse consultant in gynaecology. They're both based at Guy's Hospital in London. So hello and welcome to the podcast, Claudia and Debbie. Hello, thank you for having us. Hi, thank you. Thank you. So I'm going to start off really by asking for an explanation about what endometriosis is and what are the signs to watch out for. So I don't mind who picks up that one. Sure, I can start with that one. So endometriosis, it's um, how I describe it to patients, really, is the endometrium is the lining of the womb that builds up every month in preparation for a potential pregnancy and then bleeds away with your period. So endometriosis is almost identical cells to the endometrium, but found outside the womb. So normally in the pelvis, but can be found actually anywhere in the body. Um, and it responds to the same messages from the ovaries. So it gets stimulated and builds up and you get this inflammatory activity every month. And then when you're not pregnant, you get these same messages from your ovaries for the lining of the womb to bleed away and shed. So the same messages are sent to the endometriosis. So you get this sort of bleeding around the place where it's not meant to be. So you get pain and inflammation, and you can get bleeding and you can get scar tissue that forms as a result of that inflammatory action. So essentially, as if you think about that cyclical process, um, it can be really painful because you've got inflammation in the pelvis, you've got this sort of inflammatory activity, you've got bleeding where it's not meant to be, and then you can get pain from that active stimulation of endometriosis through the monthly cycle. So essentially what to look out for is anything cyclical um, that's over and above what you would expect a a normal period to be. Um, And that's where it can get quite complicated because people's perception of what a normal period um, can be really different for lots of different reasons. Um, It can be you know, historically, girls will go, you know, start their periods um, and they might be, you know, really painful and difficult. Um, and they might go to their GP um, who might send them off for a scan. And it can be really hard to detect endometriosis on scans unless you've got really obvious cysts. Um, so they might have a scan, which is then normal. So then they're told, well, there's nothing wrong. Um, this is just how your periods are they're just painful. Um, Some people's are. So just take some um, some painkillers and off you go. So, you know, from quite a young age, they'll believe that there's nothing wrong and that's just their normal experience. Um, So it will often delay them 
getting any further investigations or you know they'll they'll just believe that that's normal for them so they'll be quite stoic and get on with things or they might be started on a contraceptive such as the pill um, which actually is you know the first line of treatment so it's what's recommended in the nice guidance so that is the right treatment but they might be um, given that without necessarily the suggested diagnosis of endometriosis um, because again they've had a normal scan so you start in this cycle quite early on of being almost fobbed off or certainly uninformed about the potential diagnosis that might be there. Um, the other thing that can cause real delays in diagnosis is actually, I think it's about 50% of, um, there's a 50% hereditary factor in endometriosis, which is only sort of, you know, coming out in, in recent years, like how, how much it's linked. So you get this sort of, you know, belief within families. So a girl will start her period it'll be really painful. She'll say to her mother, oh God, this is really awful and painful. And her mother say, well, that's just how it is for us in our family, you know? So again, you know, I got on with it, so you have to sort of thing. So there can be just this sort of, um, you know, perpetuated myth throughout the family cycle of just getting on with it and that's normal for them. Um, and again, you know, they may go and have investigations which will be normal, you know, because it, it can be really, really hard to detect. So, um, waffling on quite a bit here so I apologize for that yeah so it's just you know so often um by the time women get to us here in a specialist center they'll often have had many many years of being told that their symptoms aren't really that bad can't really be that bad because there's not really anything wrong um because investigations are so, you know, poor at picking it up and people will so often, you know, like with, with so many menstrual problems, will, you know, it will just be dismissed. Um, and it can be really difficult because, you know, women, it, it's something that happens cyclically. So they can be very well for a lot of the time and then be, you know, really, really unwell. Um, but from the outside, look, lovely and you know healthy um so people struggle with all sorts of elements of of it um you know friends won't really understand you know relationships can suffer um you know so they can just develop over time this real frustration and difficulty and it can manifest in so many ways because either they will become more and more frustrated and angry and sort of feel they have to battle to be believed and to be taken seriously um but then a, you know a large number of women will often you know just be completely crushed by it and think well you know are they going mad or are they just really weak or you know this sort of thing so it can it can really massively affect well the, just every aspect of their life really um and so, you know, yet the women that get to us in a specialist centre, by the time they get to us, often they've had many, many years of, of um, challenges with accessing health and, you know, healthcare and the appropriate support they need for their, you know, symptoms. Um, so they come in really, you know, armed for a battle, um, you know. And so, so, you know, the first thing that I do um, with women tends to be just to sort of listen to their story and believe their story and validate their experience um, 
you know, whether or not they've got a diagnosis of endometriosis or whether it's just, you know, understanding their symptoms um, and, you know, acknowledging that, that that is a struggle and that is a challenge and that it is something to be taken seriously. Um, and that alone can be, you know, such a huge relief for these women um, to just feel as though they're being taken seriously and not being fogged off. And I think it, you know, it can be really difficult. You can get into this real cycle and it's very difficult as a healthcare professional because you, you know, you want to have the answers. And I think this is where GPs really struggle because, um, you know, some, you go to see your GP, you want to get an answer and you want to be fixed. You know, you want to get a prescription to make you better. Um, you know, make all these problems go away. And it's with endometriosis, it's not that simple or straightforward. And, you know, the cyclical um, pattern of symptoms is just one element of it. So you can take that away by suppressing cycles hormonally or, um, but then you can often be left with all sorts of other levels of pain and, and factors that contribute to the overall pain experience. Um, I could yeah, go on thank you. I, I, No, not at all. No, no, th thanks very much, Claudia. I, I, want, I wanted to also ask, because um, obviously um, you're, you're seeing women from a specialist point of view. Mm. Um, I don't know if you or Debbie can, can answer sort of what non-specialist nurses can do to, to help identify the, the condition. And, and also it's quite interesting, some of the, the lesser known uh, symptoms of endometriosis as, as well that perhaps uh, more, more general nurses should be looking out for. Mm, well, I'll pass you over to Debbie for this because she's done a lot of work with the RCN and, and things like that. So, yeah, Debbie. Over oh, to lovely. You. Thanks, Debbie. Thanks. Thanks, Claudia. So um, I think for the non-specialists, um, obviously, I, I was the past chair of the RCM Women's Health Forum, and we did quite a lot of work on publications for the non-specialist relating to this particularly. So endometriosis, we looked at what the clinical nurse specialist should do, but we also have a publication that's freely available on the Women's Health Clinical Topics page, um, an endometriosis fact, fact sheet which actually goes through about um, some of those facts that you've been discussing. So how many women, um, how long it takes to get a diagnosis and the fact that it's very common. It's estimated that it's the same number of women that endometriosis affects as, as diabetes. So it is really important that those are managed properly in primary care. Um, the guide had a little bit about what to look out for and what to try. But very importantly, at the back was a tear off fact sheet so that you could give it to a woman that you thought might have endometriosis and they could keep a little diary or calendar of what was there. And it would encourage people to maybe track their periods a bit more and think about things. So the common things like the painful periods, as Claudia said, and then the heavy periods, but the pain with sex as well. Um, some of the less common ones are the um, pain when having the bowels open during the period. Um, and then the pain with having a passing urine or urination during the period as well, and then blood in the bowels and blood in the urine, that might signify more advanced deep pelvic endometriosis in the bladder or in the bowel. Um, chronic fatigue is very much linked with it. Um, infertility as well, and then sometimes pains in other places like back, leg, chest, and you can have endometriosis in some very odd places like in, in the lungs, um, and you can have it in scar tissue as well. So I think it's looking out for anyone that's got cyclical symptoms and then trying to join up the dots. But what I do think is before we do that, people need to know what's normal. 
So we need to really go back to the basics with people. Um, you need to know what is normal menstruation, what happens in menstruation, and what and what are, is the abnormal. And again, um, in the Women's Health Forum, we have produced a making sense of um, making sense promoting menstrual well-being, which is a booklet that goes through all about what periods are, starting from menarche all the way through to menopause, and the changes in the different conditions that are there and it also gives some of the questions that you may like to ask if you're seeing someone that you think may have endometriosis and you're um, not a specialist or not very comfortable asking some of those more personal questions and then what to do with that information so I think there is quite a lot of um, work around that out there that people can access. Um, the other place would be Endo Support. Um, so Endo UK are a big charity and have a lot of support literature out there about endometriosis, about diagnosing it, about what it is. Um, and they also have a really good um, online support at the moment and face-to-face -face hopefully coming back, but support sessions for people with endo, Facebook pages um, and all sorts of things there, as well as um, some conferences and research conferences and things. So that would be the other point I would pass people to would be Endo UK. Mm -hmm. um, for the non-specialist as well, the Royal College of um, General Practice practice has a menstrual awareness training module which is only about half an hour um, and that again goes through what's normal and I think we are still back to this if you know what normal is then you can look out for non-normal so for people that are non-specialists I think it's about having a good awareness of the menstrual cycle so that you can signpost patients to different things um, there are nice guidelines as well so there's a nice guideline for endometriosis and that in it has um, what you should look out for if you're an non-specialist and then the patients that need to be referred um, and those are some of those with the um, bowel and bladder involvement as well and also some of those with it um, in their lungs etc so um, I think looking out for those well those less known symptoms um, other symptoms can be like nosebleeds around the period as well um, hiccuping around the period anything that's a cyclical in nature would lend you to suspect that it's related to the menstrual cycle and can can indeed be endometriosis and I think nurses particularly non-specialists will be 50, more than 50% of the population of women so um, we'll be looking after women in any area that you're working in um, so having a good idea about what they might be having in their menstrual cycle because that can affect not just endometriosis but that can affect lots of other aspects of their life as well so I think it is a good idea to get on top of it if you can. Yeah, and Claudia mentioned um, about um, some of the treatment options, um, the contraceptive pill being um, one of them as per NICE guidance. Um, what, what are some of the other uh, treatment routes uh, for, for women with endometriosis? So just simply um, trying to look at pain around periods, so trying to get optimum painkillers. Um, it's very common when you're when you're a woman who've got period pain you don't take anything because you don't think it's going to be all right so you leave it for a while but actually with endometriosis if you start taking the painkillers beforehand particularly the group of the non-steroidal um, painkillers they can help with the inflammation so if you take them beforehand you get on top of the pain better so making sure people are taking their painkillers making sure they've got appropriate painkillers is one way um, and then as Claudia mentioned you've got the pill so you've got the combined pill you've also got progestion only pills that can be used you have things like the um, intrauterine device the Mirena which is a hormone contraceptive device that goes into the um, into the womb that releases a hormone and that can help with endometriosis in the pelvis as well and that can re reduce the um, painful and heavy periods that you can get um, so you have the conservative management you can um, 
sometimes people might be referred to pain clinics to be looking at um, other methods of controlling their pain. Um, heat, acupuncture, TENS machines may all will be things that might be used. Physiotherapy can be helpful as well for some women. And then we'd move on to surgery. So that would be laparoscopy and removing any endometriosis that's there, um, trying to restore, trying to remove it, trying to restore, take away adhesions so that uh, things get restored to their correct place. Um, and then for the more complex, that could be laparoscopic surgery involving both the urology team and the colorectal team as well, if it's quite severe endometriosis. So it's a whole range of different things from starting from painkillers and, and also a lot of women say that diet has an impact on their endometriosis as well. So um, there are some particular diets there that some people try to reduce inflammation that they find their symptoms are better with those. So right the way through a whole holistic range of things that um, that we can help with and we can signpost people to. Um, and then there's things that we have to do as interventions like operations. Mm. What what kind of diets have people found helpful? I'm going to pass you over to Claudia for that one. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Claudia. Hi. So um, yeah, as Debbie said, there's lots of lots of different elements to the pain experience for women with endometriosis. So it, I always say to them, it's a matter of unpicking things. Um, so you take away the inflammatory active endometriosis pain by suppressing the cycles with hormones and sort of Debbie's just explained the different different hormones so essentially anything that stops your periods and um you know stops that inflammatory activity is great and then you sort of see what you're left with so you can have pain because you are tense all the time expecting to have pain so you can get this sort of build up of tension in the pelvic floor um, which is what pelvic floor physiotherapy can be really good at. So if you think how, you know, we often get tension on our shoulders, it builds up. And if you just press on them, it releases that tension, doesn't it? And so it's a similar thing with the pelvic floor physiotherapy. So they use sort of internal examining to identify trigger points that can really help relieve some of those pain symptoms. So that's actually really popular. Um, you can, you know, with the diet, the diet's a tricky one. So um, there's a lot of information out there. If you Google endometriosis diet, it comes up with all sorts of things, you know, that can actually be really, really restrictive. Um, and again, you know, we say to people, there are lots of lots of different things that different women with endometriosis will find beneficial um, and will find our triggers and, you know, will exacerbate or, or reduce their pain if they eliminate them. So things like wheat, dairy and gluten are quite big things for that. Um, how I explain it to women is you know if if anyone just eats a whole load of bread and pasta you're going to get really bloated and 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 you know feel quite uncomfortable probably if you've got endometriosis particularly if you've got any on the bowel then that can be just much worse for you so the bowel you know if the bowel is involved if you've got adhesions around the bowel or if you've got endometriosis on the bowel um, or in the bowel then you know the bowel just won't work quite as efficiently as it might do so anything that can help your digestive system move as as you know um, easily and simply as possible will be beneficial to your pain experience because you know anything that interrupts that natural sort of peristaltic movement of the bowel um, can give you pain and cause problems so um, yeah so just all sorts of things like you know making sure you're drinking plenty of water you know peppermint tea is really good um you know not having a really heavy red meat diet um and just simple things like that um 
you know, if you refer people, people, you know, we've got a great nutrition department here that we'll refer people to, but not everyone has access to that. But um, our, our nutritionists and dietitians will often strip people back to the FODMAP diet and eliminate, you know, everything and then reintroduce things, um, you know, one at a time to see, see what they're doing. But, um, you know, that can be, you know, quite intense, um, you know, and hard work. So I think that's that's how I always explain it to patients is I would say, you know, none of this is going to be, you know, there's no one thing that can take away all your pain experience and make everything go away just in one go. It's all difficult and it's all, um, you know, requires a bit of effort because you have to do one thing and you try it for a bit and see what you're left with. Then you try something else. Um, and see what you're left with but all those different things combined if you work together and you you incorporate all those different things and together you know you'll eventually you know find yourself in a much better place than than you are in the beginning so yeah so physio diet then all the things like acupuncture and then pain teams because you know you can you know some women will will get into this sort of chronic pelvic pain cycle where you know the nerve pathways are just so mixed up because you've been in pain all the time and taking painkillers all the time that you're just in pain always even when you remove the um you know the inflammatory active endometriosis you still have pain every day and so that's where the pain teams are really good and they can give um medications that you take every day which help to sort of reset that or they can um do nerve block injections and things like this so there's lots of different things um that can be done and it's it's all about identifying the individual person's symptoms and trying to work out what's a contributing factor to them so some women it will be as simple as you know they come to see you you start them on the pill which they just take back to back and they literally do you know feel complete relief from their symptoms and have no problems from there on um, other women it's much more complicated and the longer it takes for them to get diet you know to get the best help you know the, the appropriate help and understanding then then the more they get into this you know the other um complexities of the condition you know with the tension and pain pathways and stuff you know the longer the di diagnosis is delayed which is why you know there's such a big drive to reduce the time to diagnosis which as you said in the beginning is an average of about seven years mm. Mm. Thank you for that. I, I also wanted to ask you about um, the kind of day-to-day uh, -day management of, of symptoms as well, because one thing certainly um, we've we've picked up, you know, in, in the pandemic is um, health and care staff who are managing heavy periods, you know, in, with, with COVID-19 and staff wearing PPE for, for hours on end. So I wanted to ask you really what your advice is for, for staff in, in these scenarios and, and also managers who are looking to to support them so I don't know who's who's best to take that so uh, sorry I think I'm going to take that one um so firstly I think be honest with your manager if you're having problems with your periods because quite often when I um, talk to people or I work with occupational health people aren't aware that it's a period problem people are very reticent about saying I've got period problems or I've got gynae problems I mean that's for everything and if your manager doesn't know, then they can't help you. Um, there, there is a lot of treatment that you can have for heavy periods, but I think 
being honest about it, if you've got a predictable cycle, maybe being honest and asking your manager if you could not work on the days that are going to be your heaviest, and so most people might know those, there are simple medications that you can take to help with the heavy periods. So um, transamic acid is one of them, and then some non-steroidals for the pain as well. So you could take those. Um, I think it, depending on how heavy the periods are, you may need to go and see your GP and be referred for investigations, so a scan to see if there's any cause, and then to look at different treatments. But again, it, it all goes back to knowing what's normal and what's not normal. So um, if um, you were having a look at, at what a normal menstrual cycle is and then trying to work out if yours is abnormal, then going to see your manager. Here we've um, I've done some sessions with occupational health, so I've been doing monthly sessions. Um, so drop in for an hour doing a little talk on menopause and then the next month doing a little talk on periods and period problems and PCOS and things. So you may find you've got some support like that with an occupational health team or a health and wellbeing team. That's quite useful because that gives people the baseline for what's normal and can point people into where, what they can do to get help. Um, making sure that you drink enough, making sure that you can go to the toilet. And I think if you can have some sort of supportive plan in place with your managers or if your managers are trying to support someone and you've noticed that it's a cyclical pattern to the um, to someone being away, again, trying to get something that you can work around that with. But I, I think for heavy periods particularly, don't put up with it because um, as you get heavier periods, you also get anemic. Um, so that can make you more tired and that can make you more susceptible. Um, to different things and so it will be on a particularly if you're working long hours in PPE on in COVID situations you don't want to be anemic on top of that so I think firstly recognizing that you've got heavy periods and then recognizing that you can get help there's lots of myths around that if you have heavy periods you just have to put up with it exactly the same as the myths for endometriosis um, and you don't there's lots of treatments there's lots of non-invasive treatments there's lots of very simple treatments and then there's lots of effective hormonal treatments as well so I think talk to someone about it get a short-term plan in place, get referred to see someone and then work out if there's anything um, that's causing the heavy periods and anything we can do. And I think a similar thing for endometriosis as well. I think you need to be um, honest about it and and talk to your manager about it and say, this is what's happening. And particularly with endometriosis, it's, it is going to be an ongoing condition. It's going to happen every month. So you don't really want to be known as the person that has sick time a certain, all the time. Um, so you need to try and get some scenarios to work around that, get some treatment plans in place and get referred to occupational health for help with that as well. Mm -hmm. That's excellent advice. Talking about um, planning around your your cycle, it, it it sounds silly, but something you know I'd, I'd never really have thought of. So um, there are probably others the same as, as me, I imagine. I, I think most people will know when they're when they're worst or their heaviest yeah. days. If they've got irregular bleeding, it's more difficult. But if you have a regular cycle and you've got endometriosis or you've got heavy periods, you'll know what your worst days are. Um, and it, it may be worth saying to your manager, these are the two days a month that I really don't think I can work currently. And I don't think it's about saying this is I'm never going to work those days of my period ever again. It's about thinking while I'm trying to sort out getting some help for these um, this is the support I need from you at work. I don't need to work too long days on my worst days of my periods because I'm likely to be off sick. Um, but with women's health, people are very reluctant to talk about women's health and reluctant to talk about periods with people. So quite often the managers may not even know that someone's having problems or having endometriosis or having problems with their periods or any gyny stuff. So I think we, we all need to talk about it a bit more. Mm. 
Definitely. Um, I also wanted to um, sort of explore around mental health as well. I know, Claudia, you you touched on on that earlier because, of course, that that goes hand in hand with um, with the symptoms of endometriosis. Um, so, could um, one of you perhaps talk about the the impact on on women's well being and and how that can also be um, supported alongside the the uh, physical aspects of the condition? Absolutely. I mean, it's a it's a hugely important element of of the care for these women. Um, there was Endometriosis UK were published the the all party parliamentary group report into endometriosis where they interviewed ten thousand women um, with endometriosis and you know looked at how it was impacting their care, looked at how they access care and things, and that's all readily available to access, and it makes you know, fairly shocking reading, actually, um, you know, and it's something like 95% of those respondents said that their symptoms had negatively impacted their mental health. You know, it's really, really huge. And it's very, very complex because endometriosis, you know, it's it differs so vastly in the presentation and experience so some people will have just the tiniest little spots of endometriosis, which may actually, you know, not really give them any symptoms or, you know, even if they've got, you know, quite extensive disease, maybe they're they're fairly symptom free. Um, you know, some women will have really severe disease, you know, they'll have lost a function in their kidney because of it, or they'll need to have, you know, radical surgery with colostomy bags and things like this. And then you'll have other women who have really superficial disease. Um, you know, which isn't really that extensive, but may well still give them lots of pain. Um, so the pain doesn't always correlate with the extent of disease, essentially, um, which can also add to how difficult it is to process how the individual is affected by it. Um, because not only do they have to contend with all the things I was, you know, waffling on about earlier you know about the, the difficulties with access and care and being fobbed off and not being believed and um, you know being dismissed by you know healthcare professionals and family members um, they can feel really isolated because you know they're often you know young women who should be going out having lots of fun you know but they find that alcohol will be a great trigger or they'll feel really fatigued um, the unpredictability of their experience can be really difficult for friends and um, family members and partners to understand so they can actually become really quite isolated so you hear that a lot in the support groups actually where people will you know they'll have to cancel on friends or they'll let people down at the last minute or they won't want to go on holidays because you know they they won't want to be away from you know their their safe environment um all these different things so it can be really really isolating cause massive issues with you know friendships um it can cause huge issues with relationships because sex can be incredibly painful um again coming back to the sort of the tension the anxiety um that can be built up in the pelvic floor but then also if you've got 
lots of scar tissue and adhesions in the pelvis, then, you know, when you have sex and you don't have any issues, then, you know, with each penetration, the cervix is knocked and the womb sort of bounces freely and happily in your pelvis. Um, if you've got loads of adhesions and everything's sort of stuck together, then with every penetration, it's going to feel as though your whole pelvis is being sort of moved and that can be incredibly painful. So um, what will often happen is that women will, you know, have that pain experience once or just be, you know, very sensitive and aware of the pain that they experience in their pelvis and in the vagina and just generally. And so um, even once symptoms are well controlled or perhaps even after they've had surgery and endometriosis has been excised and um, adhesions divided, they may still experience significant problems because of the anxiety related to their experience. Um, but it's really, really important how you discuss these things with women, because going back to, you know, how I was, how I was discussing earlier about how, you know, it can often take people such a long time to get the appropriate care. They will often have had several consultations where they've been told that actually um, it's all in their head um, or it's not, you know, there's nothing wrong with them and they have to battle to be believed that there is something there, there is something real that's happening. So you'll often meet a lot of resistance with women when you suggest perhaps psychosexual counselling or counselling support. And, you know, I, I recommend it for, I certainly recommend counselling to pretty much all my patients. I, I always, um, you know, I have a background in, in, in training in, in counselling and psychotherapy. So I'm able to sort of pitch it that way and say, you know, it, it's a huge benefit to everyone. Everyone should have some counselling regularly because it's just really helps to, to work through your experience and how you're feeling. And people will often say, oh, but I've got great friends and family. And they may well have. But the difference with that is, is that they'll always be trying to, almost certainly trying to protect their friends and family from what they're actually experiencing um, because they won't want to worry them too much or they'll, you know, that they won't want to, you know, voice their, you know, worst feelings um, because they may not want to voice them themselves. So, you know, there's a there's a huge amount to be said, you know, they, these women will often be, you know, working on a very high level of maintaining their function through trying to just get on with things and, and cope with things and cope with the sort of daily anxiety of, what their pain experience is going to do next and, and what's going to happen next and whether they're going to be believed and whether they're going to be able to cope with this or with that and you know the working experience as well as, as Debbie was saying you know the experience of having to hold down a, a physical job with all the um, you know additional current issues with PPE and you know shortages and just the physical demands of nursing jobs generally um, just adds a whole nother level of it being difficult and you know we tend to you know as nurses as women um you know just sort of feel as though we have to get on with things and have to sort of you know not let things get us down and not display weakness so that can be a real a real problem so it's it's really about re-educating and as Debbie already said you know being honest about your symptoms and you know, having some help to unpick them and really identify and understand them and working out what can help and when and how you can best incorporate that into your life and into your, into your working life. And, you know, as Debbie said, you know, 
maybe not working a shift a long day or a night shift when you're on your period but you know we would hope that you know one of the things to come out of the pandemic is you know remote working so loads of my patients not nurses or doctors but loads of my patients have have really really enjoyed the freedom and the additional um just just the the way that remote working has has really helped them because they can sit at home with a hot water bottle and access to a toilet whenever they need it um and they've actually been able to to work really well much better than they have been when they've had to go into the office and you know go on the tube and all these different things and um you know there's there's almost certainly going to be you know elements that nurses can do from home you know it's it's conversations to open up with your managers you know just just things that that perhaps you can do if you're not able to work physically for a couple of days you know can you be a you know a link nurse for something that you can be developing protocols and policies and stuff like that you know what what you can do rather than just saying well I can't work you know what can you do from home mm-hmm. yeah yeah I, I think that's a re- really good point actually I know certainly from um friends of mine and and own experience really that you know when you are able to to work from home and you know you you have uh pain or menstruation it's it's um incredibly helpful and I know it's something that before you know no one no one really had did they before the pandemic yeah yeah and you know when you and and you know when you are traveling you know there's lots of different things again it's about you know acknowledging the fact that you are limited and that that you're your condition and your experience is very valid ones, you know. So, you know, you can get badges. You know, lots of my patients will have these badges that you can wear on the tube. I mean, it's not such an issue now because tubes aren't so busy. But, you know, like, please, please offer me a seat. My disability is hidden, you know. And mm-hmm. and so these sorts of things where, where women actually, you know, they may really struggle to stand up on a, a long journey or, you know, they may need to use the toilet more often. They may have you know issues with that and there's different things that you can do to access you know disabled toilets and things like this so you know there's lots lots of different things out there that people might not necessarily you know nurses particularly we're terrible at at um you know saying that we need help or support for things so you know it's just about saying no you know that is a struggle and it's okay to say it's a struggle and to ask for help and support and that's very valid and important yeah definitely I also um wondered if um you could both sort of explain a bit about um how you entered this this field of practice um you know to really give advice to to any um nurses listening who who are inspired uh, to to follow the the same uh, career pathway um so I don't know who wants to take that one first perhaps Debbie maybe <laughs> Um, well, I, I could go first. So, okay. um, yeah, so uh, so I'm a band seven clinical nurse specialist for endometriosis and gynecology. So I've been doing this for about seven years and um, came on and sort of training for hysteroscopy within that, which is separate to the endometriosis role. Um, before that, I was sort of 12 years on early pregnancy and acute gynecology and I was the manager of that department there. So and then before that, I did you know gynae ward and um a couple of years in in general practice as a women's health lead so essentially lots of lots of gynae nurse background and at a fairly senior level 
to take you into the sort of autonomous role that that this requires. I also had a do a lot of training in counselling and psychotherapy, as I sort of previously mentioned, which was sort of as part of my my role in the early pregnancy acute gynae unit. So, and I sort of set up support groups there. Um, so that's where I was coming from. And I think that it's, you know, to be an endometriosis nurse specialist, it's really important that you do have a really good solid background of gynae knowledge to be able to bring that to to the role to be able to identify and unpick and you know counsel women and manage their care pathways investigations make sure you're not missing anything but then also you really do have to have you know a huge amount of empathy and understanding and you know counseling skills really to be able to you know counsel these women and support them on their journey um, whilst navigating the multidisciplinary team and the the demands and pressures of that. Um, the role has massively expanded and, um, you know, Debbie, I'll let her tell you a bit in a bit, but, you know, she's she's been really key in setting up, you know, processes within the RCN and, you know, standardising the role and, um, you know, getting it a bit more, um, well, standardised really. And, you know, there's a lot of work going on nationally to try and to try and do that and bring it up to a set level because um, there has been a lot of disparity amongst the roles and how they've been implemented nationally. So you know it, you'll have some women, some not women, some nurses who are in this role who, like me, you know, with Debbie as my manager, have from you know day one had the support there, had the protected time for the role, had um, you know set clinics to be able to see patients face to face. But other trusts have not really had that. And as part of a specialist centre, you have to have a specialist nurse. Um, it's part of the commissioning. Uh, but so other services might have, you know, just given it as a an add-on to someone who's already doing another job, perhaps with management responsibility. So a ward manager or a matron perhaps might take it on as just an extra thing, which actually without the protected time allocated to that role. So that's been... Um, quite challenging so there's been a lot of work to to open it up and standardize it so it's actually a really good um role to be a part of now because it's really really taking off and really um you know the value of it is is really getting much wider appreciated so it's lovely it's incredible it's an incredibly challenging and rewarding um job and you can really make a massive difference to these women which is essentially what you know what we all want to do um so that's that's me that's my background I'll pass you over to Debbie who's like amazing we call her the oracle here she knows she knows everything about everything and she's just incredible so over to Debbie thank you, thank you. she's my boss yeah. <laughs> so I, I started out working on a gynae ward and then I did different jobs in gynaecology so as a staff nurse then as a ward sister um, then I was a nurse specialist for a while and then I um, was in management so a, a clinical nurse manager for gynaecology and then I became a nurse consultant a very long time ago and have been in that ever since so obviously love gynae um, obviously love looking after women so in my current role um, 
I do hysteroscopies, so trained to do those. We do prescribing, um, so we do our own procedure clinic, which is completely nurse-led. Um, so there are now four of us that do that. Um, so that's um, hysteroscopies and removal of polyps, small fibroids and changing um, morenas and coils, inserting difficult coils, etc. I've also branched out, so I'm a menopause specialist as well. So I'm part of a multidisciplinary menopause clinic, um, which is a specialist clinic held in obviously secondary care. Um, we, I also do um, a clinic in haemophilia centre for women that have got a recognised bleeding disorder and gynae issues. So women that have got von Willebrand, so they often have problems with their periods. So I do that with a consultant haematologist. Um, so my role is um, some nurse-led stuff, um, some multi-professional stuff, and managing the CNS and AMP team in gynaecology here. And then externally, um, I've done work with the RCN quite a lot. And if people are interested in women's health and gynaecology, there's lots of information on the clinical pages and you don't have to be a member of the RCN to get onto those. There's some fact sheets about jobs. There's um, some some ideas about different areas because there's so many different areas in women's health. So menopause, menstrual menstrual health, endometriosis, urogyne, early pregnancy, um, fibroids etc so there's so many different areas that women can that as nurses you can get into um, and they are very fulfilling and they are um, a lot of our clinics are nurse-led clinics when we're doing hysteroscopy we maybe see someone only once but you can make such an impact on someone's periods or their quality of life by taking a good history doing the right interventions and um, talking about the right treatment so I think it is a very re rewarding place so I would encourage anyone to um, take up a role in women's health um, and, yeah. and some of those re resources you you mentioned will will include some of those as as links as well. Is is there any uh, you you mentioned the RCN clinical pages? Is there any any sort of general um, port of um, information that you'd recommend? I, I guess endometriosis UK for from patient yep. perspective too. Um, and then else? there's links to the nice guideline as well. So there's the nice yeah. guidelines on endo and um, heavy menstrual bleeding. There's there's one on both of those, so link yeah. to those. Um, yeah, I think that's your probably... party parliamentary group report as yeah. well. Is really interesting yeah. to read. Yeah, brilliant. Um, well, yeah, sorry, go on. Uh, Faculty of um, Obs and Obs and Gynae as well. Um, Royal College of Obstetricians and Gynaecologists and the Faculty of Sexual and Reproductive Healthcare. Um, they've got some good pointers as well. Mm -hmm. Brilliant. Well, thank you. We shall include uh, the links to those uh, various uh, resources and reports in, in the uh, notes to, to the show as well. So I just wanted to close by thanking you both, Claudia and Debbie, for, for your time. I found it really fascinating. So I'm sure other people will too. Who so say thank you very much. Thank you thank for you. having us. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for asking us. And thank you very much for listening. Just a reminder that all the resources connected with this episode of the show can be found at rcni.com forward slash podcast, where you can also catch up on any episodes you may have missed or simply want to play back. And we greatly appreciate any feedback, so please do rate or review us on Apple or Spotify podcasts, which will also help other people to find us. I hope you enjoyed the show. Music